Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Well, today's a special day. It's Tuesday again, and on Employment Matters podcast, that's Travel Tuesday. Each week, we get the chance to dial in our members from around the world who share with us some of the important things we need to know when doing business in their jurisdiction. Today, we're going to be learning more about doing business in Indonesia. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show Shahdan Aziz and Farul Yusuf, partners at SSEK in Jakarta. Gentlemen, how are you today? Hi, Pete. We're doing really great. We're happy to be here with you. Wonderful. Shahdan, how are you? Hi, Pete. We're good. It's good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. What we normally do is kick this off with just a general overview of the jurisdiction so our listeners understand more about the economy, the population, maybe demographics, language, some of those things. Farul, can we get started with you on that and then maybe toss it to Shahdan from there? Sure, Pete. So basically, based on the report I've seen on our GDP, the expected economic growth in Indonesia at the end of 2021 should be in excess of $1 trillion U.S. dollar. It experienced growth of more than 7% against the second quarter of 2020. And the manufacturing industry, which dominated the contribution to our GDP, experienced growth of almost 7% from the same quarter last year. So as the second quarter of 2021, our economy is still dominated by business in the following industry, manufacturing, agriculture, forestry and fisheries, distribution, retail car and motorcycle repairs, as well as construction industries. So these industries contributed a total of almost 60% to the economy of Indonesia in Q2 2021. Sheldon, do you have anything to add? Sure. Farul, continue from what Farul mentioned. As for population, based on the data provided by the Indonesian Central Bureau of Statistics, Indonesia's population reached approximately 270 million as of September 2020. People of productive age account for around 70% of the total population. Indonesia's population is still concentrated on the Java Island, which is inhabited by around 56% of the total population. Now, following Java Island is Sumatra Island and Sulawesi Island. As for the government structure in Indonesia, it generally consists of three separate bodies. I mean, it's namely the legislative body by Indonesian House of Representatives, the executive body, which is the president and the vice president, judicial body, the Supreme Court, the Court of the Judicial Court and Judicial Commission. As a note, in connection with doing business in Asia, business actors or relevant parties mostly engage with relevant ministries and or institutions, which are generally under the jurisdiction of the executive body. Now, Indonesia's national language is Bahasa Indonesia or, or Indonesian, which is governed by the language law. Now, you should note that pursuing the language law, Bahasa Indonesia is mandatory to be used in agreements involving Indonesian nationals, including for employment agreements made with a foreign party. However, it is also stipulated that any foreign language, including English, may be used in addition to Bahasa Indonesia. The preferred language is, in event, any different interpretation shall be agreed upon by the concerned parties, provided that it is not stipulated otherwise under the laws and regulations. So that's an interesting bundle of stuff there. We were talking about some key industries. Let's dig into that a little further. Farul, what's the status on the key industries and and lay out a little bit of the percentage of how they unfold? Okay, so by key industry, I think we are referring to those that are having the greatest impact on the national economy. Well, based on the data provided by our logistic agencies, the industries making the greatest contribution to Indonesia's GDP 
as of the second quarter of 2021, are still being led by the manufacturing industry with a contribution of almost 20%. The industries following the manufacturing include those in agriculture, forestry, and fisheries. And the rest would be retail, distribution, car and motorcycle repairs, and constructions. But we're also aware that the recent growth in the technology industry, financial technology such as e-commerce and other technology-related, is also having rapid growth. So it's very reasonable to believe that the tech industry will also continue to grow and eventually join the ranks in those industries having the biggest impact on the Indonesian economy. So it sounds like Indonesia is just booming and it, it's got a lot of business, a lot of infrastructure to support that business. Lots of organizations are bringing their manufacturing and some of their other components of that into the country. Let's talk about some of the key structural issues that we need to address when employing locally. You know, Are there works councils, unions, any kinds of federal regulations? And also, has anything changed over the last 12 months, given all the challenges we've had around the world? Farul, can you kick us off with that? Yeah, whenever we're talking about employment, the ultimate laws in Indonesia is our Indonesian manpower law, which acknowledge the right of each worker or employee to form and to become a member of a labor union. So our manpower law also gives a labor union several rights once it is formed within the company. As an example, for a company with a company regulation in place, If the labor union requires negotiations to create a collective labor agreement, the employer is obliged to serve that request. So once it is created, the employees, the employer, and the labor union will be all obliged to comply with the provisions under such collective labor agreement. The employer would be prohibited from replacing the collective labor agreement with a company regulation as long as the labor union still exists in the company. So this kind of regulations has been there as long as I can remember. And Shadan perhaps can add more on that. Okay, thanks, Farol. If we're talking about the significant changes the last 12 months, it would be the amendment of the manpower law itself through the enactment of law number 11, 2020 on job creation, or as people say, the omnibus law and implementing regulations. However, the amendment has not significantly impacted structural matters within companies. Instead, the omnibus law has provided significant changes in the terms of employment itself, such as in procedures of determination of employment, employee entitlements upon termination, terms for fixed term employment, as well as other matters. So let's get into the conversation then. And we have this with all of our other members. Would you say that Indonesia is more pro-business or more pro-employee, in your opinion? Shahdan, what do you think? Mm, I guess this would also be in line with the omnibus law. I mean, generally speaking, the aim of the omnibus law itself is to bolster investment to create jobs by streamlining regulations and simplifying the licenses process to improve the ease of doing business in Asia. Therefore, the enactment of the omnibus law may undoubtedly be understood as the government's intention to improve business climate by attracting additional business players or investors in Asia. Now, if it's specifically for employment law, the enactment of the omnibus law has affected both business actors as employers and employees. An example is the revolution in the termination of employment. Previously, an employer could only terminate the employment based on the labor court's decision. In, in the absence of such decision, the termination was deemed null and void. Now, such requirement has now been revoked in the amendment of the manpower law and its implementing regulations, where an employer may terminate employment by giving 14 working days prior to notice 
to the relevant employee. Such employee has the right to raise any, any objection within seven working days as of the receipt of that notice. Now, if there's no objection from the employee, the employer shall re- report the determination to the Ministry of Manpower and or the Manpower Office to effectuate the determination itself. Now, maybe Farhul can add some, some more to this. Thank you, Shadan. So like you said, the change may seem pro-employer. However, in reality, employers cannot terminate employees without a very clear basis. So the employer still must provide the purpose and objective behind any termination by serving a written notice to the employee within a 14 working days period. So in our government regulation number 35 of 2021, there's a list of grounds based on which termination can occur. This indicates that termination may not be done arbitrarily by the employer. In addition, the government also has introduced several new employee entitlements under the manpower law, such as compensation for fixed-term employees and a new program that they call a job loss security program. The inclusion of those entitlements may also be taken as the government's intention to solidify legal protections for employees. Well, very interesting, gentlemen. So let's let's talk about the cross-border business opportunities in the region. And again, that's a big topic right now, particularly now that the world's opening up to more travel and so forth, expats and everything else. So let's talk a bit about what type of immigration standards, if they are in the country, are they easy, are they hard, and any other specifics that might impact the business opportunities in the region. Shahdan, can you kick this off? If it's on the cross-border business opportunities, I mean, again, I'm going to come back to omnibus law. I'm following the enactment of the omnibus law itself. The government issued uh, President Regulation 10, 2021. It's on investment, which revoked and replaced the, the previous investment negative list. Now, what PR, basically PR 10, 2021 contains a list of business fields which are closed for foreign investment and open for foreign investment with certain restrictions. If a business field is not included in this list, it means that such business field is open for 100% for an investment. Now, as a note, the list of, of fields of business that's recent for foreign investment has been significantly reduced in PR 10 2021 compared to the previous negative list. And this is supposed to be a great boost for foreign investment in Indonesia. PR 10 2021 also newly introduces a priority list and the business list contained therein shall be provided with fiscal and non-fiscal incentives by the government, such as tax allowance, tax holiday, investment allowance, custom incentives, ease of business licensing, immigration, and employment, and in accordance with, of course, in accordance with the laws and regulations. So this is actually a great time for Indonesia because basically we're opening up our businesses for foreign investment. Maybe Farouk can add on the expatriate utilization in Indonesia. Thank you, Shahdan. So as far as expatriates employment is concerned in Indonesia, the government has introduced a special government regulation, a number 34 of 2021, regarding utilization of foreign workers. So the expatriate regulations introduce a significant change to the expatriate work permit application process, removing the notification application from the process which was required in the previous regulation. And the immigration standard for expatriates has also been eased after the enactment of the omnibus law or the job creation law. Previously, employers were required to obtain uh, what we call a a foreign worker utilization plan. It's very mouthful in Indonesian, 
uh, but we call it RPTKA and a notification approved and issued by the MOM prior to employing foreign workers. The expatriate regulations remove the notification requirement. During the foreign worker utilization plan assessment, the Ministry of Manpower will determine within two business, business days whether the submitted information and documents are correct and complete, either at the same time with the submission of the utilization plan or once the MOM issues the RPTKA assessment result. Applicants are required to submit personal information and documents of the foreign workers. So upon verification and the payment of the fee for the utilization plan, the Ministry of Manpower will issue the approval and the approval will then serve as the recommendation to obtain the visa and stay permit for the foreign workers. This uh, approval was previously known as the notification that was already removed. Any foreign workers intending to work in Indonesia should also take into account the relevant restrictions and requirements that may be in place due to the COVID-19 pandemic. That certainly is at the end of almost every briefing we do on Travel Tuesdays is everything is is as it is, except when you add the pandemic. And let's hope that uh, life gets back to normal. But it sounds like a great place to be, certainly a, a great economy, lots of opportunities for workers and investors. So gentlemen, it's been a very interesting discussion. Thanks so much for your time, Shahdan and Farul. Have a great day. Our pleasure, Pete. Our pleasure, Pete. Thank you, you too. If you'd like to connect with Shahdan or Farul, you'll find their bios by clicking on their names in the description of this podcast. Please visit ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to on-demand content, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks so much for listening.